Good evening, everybody. Good afternoon. Good morning. And welcome to the Over Six Sports Podcast. I am your co host, Zach the Bandit Burke. And with me, as he always is, is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. How are we doing, Cam? Man, we're doing good. Just coming off the golf course about an hour ago. Just it's July in Ontario. Weather's great. Baseball's on. The All-Star game was great. The home run derby was fun. It's just a good time to be in Ontario. Just perfect weather today. Couldn't ask for a better day to golf. Well, I mean, perfect weather is a bit of a stretch. I'm going to call you out right off the hop. I am ready to talk violence today. Um, I'm in a fighting mood. I'm ready just to let it rip on the pod. Um, I mean, it's it's ridiculous for July how much rain that we're getting. Honestly, the amount of storm is supposed to storm tomorrow, supposed to storm Friday, uh, it's supposed to rain Saturday. I got birthday plans coming up on Saturday to golf with the boys, and it's looking like rain. I don't mean I don't care. I'm gonna grind it out, but I mean, this is the sacrifice that. But this is why it's bullshit. I'll tell you why. Because when we were in lockdown. It rained a lot, and we were like, oh, okay, that's perfect. And then the first kind of couple weeks after lockdown was over, we're like, all right, weather's... And then now we're back to the same bullshit. I'm like, did we not pay for this during the lockdown period? Like, we should just have complete sunshine the rest of the summer, rain at night, help the farmers out, because we like farmers, farmers feed cities, rain at night, and then just dry during the day. That's what I'm thinking. I don't, I don't like this day rain every day, all the time kind of crap other than today. Yeah. I mean, today was perfect. Yeah. We've had a lot of rain. It's making my job a whole lot easier though. We were worried in May with a zero rain that we were going to run out of water on the golf course. We're looking fine now. We're good to get us through September, October. We're fine. And it's just been perfect. I mean, for me, it rains after three o'clock. I'm pretty much done work. So it's been pretty good. I can't complain too much. The rain Friday looks a little scary. looks like it could be a lot. So We'll see, but tomorrow looks okay. 40% chance during the day, 70 to 80% at night. And it's nothing it, to worry about. No, it's not bad. I mean, the reality is, is that, uh, I mean, we can, I'll, I'll, I'll take the rain in Ontario as long as the open in, in the UK has no rain because they, they always rains over there. And I just want to see some good golf, no delays, nothing like that. But we're going to get to the open later. Um, and which is good because we got a major championship. We got a couple other things we're going to talk about picks. Uh, we're also going to get the Turf King report, which we love to do on the show. I love the Turf King report. You're going to talk to us about the golf course, and uh, and we're going to, we're going to you know dive into that, which I know our listeners love. Uh, but let's get into uh, let's get into our headlines. Now I do want to preface as well. Uh, we did say last week that we were going to do the expansion draft this week. Uh, we decided not to. The reason that we're going to do it next, so we're going to record next Tuesday. Uh, the expansion drafts on the Wednesday, and we'll release the pod on the Thursday. Um, the reason we're doing it next Tuesday is because teams have until this weekend to submit their protected list. So instead of Cam and I kind of diving in on who's going to get protected, like there could be trades in the next couple days. There could be a whole bunch of stuff. People sign contracts with no move clauses. Like there's so many moving parts that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to do it this week. Uh, so we're going to bump it to next week. 
Um, so again, might be a little bit of a shorter pod. We said that last week and we went an hour and 40 minutes, but we'll see what happens this week. It could be shorter. Uh, we will find out, but let's, as we just said, dive into the headlines and we're going to start, uh, with, uh, tennis and Wimbledon and Novak Djokovic ties Roger Federer and Rafa Nadal cam as a Roger Federer fan. I was choked. Uh, but as an overall sports kind of media person and as a as a tennis fan i mean you kind of love to see it but i still as a fed fan i'm i'm just dying a little bit inside every championship this guy wins yeah i just watched the semifinal games versus shapovalov i was pretty emotionally invested in that hoping that shapo would pull it off make the finals beat Djokovic. and the thing is is shapo just i don't know if he could have played any better and same with uh, berrettini in the finals these guys are playing unbelievable tennis against Djokovic. The biggest difference in both matches was break points. When it comes to a break point, Djokovic, whether he's facing break or trying to break the other guy, just seems to find a different level that I haven't seen from anybody, including Federer and Nadal. There just seems to be another level there where he can just wait and then make shots and just do it all. And the tennis that I watched in the semifinals and finals, I mean, he's tied Nadal and Federer now and... I think it's not going to be very long before we're talking about Djokovic is the greatest of all time. And right now it's questionable, but he's to me, he's going to win a couple more. The way, the way he was playing tennis this weekend was just unbelievable. And I don't know how anybody beats him when he's at the top of his game right now. So here's the problem that I have. And we talked about this on the podcast last week. I said, you have like, we talked about how Chapo had to be aggressive. Um, I pointed out that, hey, yes, you need to be aggressive, but you also need to keep points in play. Like you can't give away free points and you can't, in a sense, just give it away. Now, part of that is break, like break points is part of that. But if you look at like, um, like unforced arrows, Shapo had 36, Djokovic had 15, um, 36 unforced errors is a lot. Like, and, and I can't tell you, like I, I saw a couple on points that, absolutely just killed like if it like let's just say it's 30 all and Djokovic is serving you throw up an unforced error and it's now 40 30 Djokovic and he hits an ace down the line I mean if that's 30 40 maybe he hits it differently right 36 unforced errors is too much and I don't know if I don't think necessarily that the moment was too much for Chapo um but th- this is this is kind of the tennis that he lives and dies by. Is this and and we talked about how that's how he's going to be successful is be aggressive. And I I remember saying last week I said just make sure that you're you're picking your spots. Thirty six unforced errors tells me that he didn't pick his spots exactly correct. And now part of that is is that when you get behind in the match, like I get it, like you don't have a choice but to go for it because you need to come up with some points. But this is where Djokovic kills you. Is when you get behind, when you do unforced errors, you get behind, like you get behind in the match. You, you're whatever. At that, I think it two two sets in, he was like one for ten on break points. Like when he gets you in that spot, he's almost unbeatable. He was down two sets uh, to um, whoever it was. Not long. Oh, it was uh, uh, Titsy uh, Pass. Got it this time, and uh, in the French and he just plugged away, plugged away, plugged away. Let Titsy Pass get himself into a hole and then was like, yeah, all right, match is mine. And just in, and if you get two sets down on this guy, like good luck coming back, he's not going to play that bad at tennis that he can't get one set out of the next three. Yeah. It's just crazy watching him like Chapo. I think through two sets, at least he had way more winners as well. So 
Djokovic was basically just letting the game come to him. But then, and he does that quite often. He just kind of lets the game come to you. You make the mistakes, you make the winners. But then when it comes to those tight points, the break points, those extra points, when it comes to that, Djokovic just kicks it up a gear and he can hit those winners all of a sudden. He's like, yeah, if it's 30 love, whatever, I'm not too worried about hitting a winner or... If you're serving well, you know what, whatever, I'll let the game come to me. But as soon as it gets to those break points things, like early on in that match through two sets, Djokovic was like 66% or something on break points. And Chapo was like one for 10, as you said. And it was just crazy. That was the difference. Like Chapo was putting up way tougher fight on Djokovic's serves than Djokovic was on Chapo's. But when it came to those actual break points, Djokovic just finds another level that Chapel couldn't find. Well, and that's, and you're right. Like when you say he lets the game come to him, absolutely he does. And, but that's the experience, right? That's him having one, like you can tell when you look at that, that, Hey, this guy's won 19 majors before he won his 20th. But it's, as I said, it's that level of experience where, you know, um, okay, I'm down, th- I'm down love 30 in this game. I'm up a set. Like, whatever. Like, this is not going to affect it, right? And it's just that kind of mindset where no matter if you're down two sets to love, you're down one set to love, you're down 40 love, whatever the case is, it's just like, okay, that's fine. I'll lose a game. I'm not worried about it because you're going to make a mistake and I'm going to capitalize on it. And that's exactly what he did. And he did it all match. And it was it, it was tough to see because it's like, I, I didn't think that Chapo necessarily played a bad match. I thought he... You know, for what he is, uh, I thought he played well, but like you don't have like 36 unforced errors and I, and I get that he had more winners, but 36 unforced errors doesn't get you a win against Djokovic. It just doesn't. You have to be legit. Like you have to be perfect. If you are not perfect, you will lose. And just ask guys like Nadal and Federer who have played him in the finals and lost all the time. And we're not talking about like, you know, obviously, you know, Shap was in the top 20, Um, like it's, you know, it is what it is. Like he, he's a good tennis player, but these guys, like if, if number two, number three, number four in the world can't get it done versus this guy. And you're like the, the, let's just say the 15th or the 10th best player. You have to be perfect. And if you're not, you get a lovely runners up trophy, which if you make it to the finals, obviously, but you get a lovely runners up trophy and it's see you later. Yeah, I will say for sure. Watching the match. It had to be one of the closest straight set wins I've ever seen. Like, to me, watching the match, it didn't feel like one of those ones where you'd see guys just, it's straight sets and it's over. Like, every point was earned. And it was, what, I think 7-6, seven, 6-4, seven, six, six, four, six, four. Like, yeah. it was super close the entire match. And Chapeau, to me, like, I, I said beforehand, like, would I love him to win? Yeah. Do I see him winning? No. But to me, he actually showed enough and showed enough in that match that, I think he can beat some of these guys. And yep. to me, it just added to it that this guy's going to win a major. It's going to happen, especially as Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal get older. I mean, this Berrettini guy's only a couple, three years older than Chapo, and he looked impressive. But, yeah, I mean, you're still playing arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. I think in two years we're probably saying he is. And I think he put up a good fight. Yeah, the game wasn't there, and he made errors. But Djokovic forces you into those errors. That's what I mean. When like when the game's coming to him, he just basically puts it back in play and just keeps doing it. Like the rallies last forever, and he's just like waits for them to make a mistake. So he kind of forces you to make unforced errors, if that makes sense. No, I mean, yeah, it totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it really does. And I just I I remember this was probably uh, ten years ago at the Rogers Cup. Um, and I watched Djokovic play Richard Gasquet. And 
like this is in the Rogers Cup final, which okay, let's be honest here, not every single pro comes to the Rogers Cup final. Um, and it and you know, it, it's it is what it is. But Djokovic, to his credit, actually showed up because Federer and Nadal they all dropped out. Djokovic came, played Gasquet. It was a two it's a two set game because it's not the ATP one thousand or whatever it is. I forget what the different tiers are, but it's not a top tier tournament. It's only two sets. And it was like six nothing, six one Djokovic. And like watching that live, Gasquet had winners, but it's just he as you said, like he just he he lets the game come to him and it's like, okay, whatever. Down thirty love. I'm just gonna go ahead and win this. And that's the difference between champions and losers. That's just it is what it is. And I mean, Roger is coming to the end of his career. I don't think that's a shock. I, I, I would have said a couple years ago, like, I know that he, he won in, what was it, 27, uh, 2017 he won Wimbledon because I think Djokovic has won the last three straight. Um, so he won four years ago. Four years ago in tennis time is a long time. And I think he's coming to the end. Nadal's similar age. He's coming to the end. Djokovic got a few more years to go. And as exciting as it is to see all these young guys, young Canadians, young tennis players, this is Djokovic world. And they're just living in it. And I legitimately think that this guy could do a do, do the grand, like the full grand slam, take them all. And I think he could do it again next year. Like I legitimately think the next eight majors Djokovic could win. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we discussed earlier in the year, like who is the greatest of all time and kind of got into details, but I look at it right this second. Now all three of them are tied Federer to me. I'm sorry. I can't see him winning another major. His form's just not no, good enough. It's been a few done. years since he's won. Yeah. It guts Nadal, me to say. Sorry, it guts me to say, but he's done. Yeah. Like it is. Yeah. Nadal to me is he could maybe win the French once or twice more, but other than that, to me, he's done. And I think it's only one or two more years where he's really competitive in the French, really. Isn't it wild and, to say that um, oh yeah, he's done, except for the French, which is a major tournament. Oh, he could win one or two more. Like that's wild to say it's just the different surfaces. Like you get such the different surfaces in tennis and he's the greatest clay player of all time. And, and it's not even close. So to me, he's always going to be in it for the French and it might be longer than one or two years. So to me, he still has a chance at maybe one or two, but you look at Djokovic and you're like, man, he can still win five or six more. And that's ridiculous. And five, five or six. He could, he could win 10, yeah, I 12. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go that high because I mean, like you get guys like Zverev, Shapovalov, Felix Ajay Aliassim, this Berrettini guy, like over the next City two pass. years, Djokovic, you, yeah, these guys are all super young and super good. So over the next two years, I think Djokovic is going to fall off a bit and these guys are going to start winning some of them, but Djokovic could easily win half of these. Well, and, and yeah, as I said, I wouldn't like 20 is amazing. And there's three guys, like we've talked about this before that we were literally living in, we were experiencing the greatest, um, in my opinion, the greatest uh, two decades of tennis that have ever been ever. I mean, it's the, the proof is in the numbers. Like, look at these, look, look what these guys have done. Like if like, I get that there was really good tennis players before, but Serena Djokovic, Nadal Federer, like this is wild. Like and it's so easy to look back in hindsight, but, and we're not quite there yet because they're still playing, but 10, 20 years from now, when you and I are old, we're going to look back and be like, dang, like the, and very possibly you have guys who do the same thing. I don't, but I'm not convinced. Like this is just absolutely wild. I really don't think that you will ever see uh, three guys still playing all of them at 20 championships 
like 20 majors, I, I legitimately don't think that'll ever happen again. No, and I think you're going to see some incredible tennis players yeah. still. Like, this entire group, like, you've had Pete Sampras, Andy Roddick, a whole other list of names that uh, I can't get all into because they're a little before our time. But there's been great tennis players, and I think some of these star- young stars are going to be that. But to have this is just nuts. Like, you just look at guys like, I'm trying to think, Stan Wawrinka. Imagine if he didn't play in this era. He'd probably have five or six majors easily. For sure. And even, like, even a guy like Milos, I'm like, if he didn't play in this era for most of his career, like, to me, he would have won one by now. But every time he gets into a major tournament and starts going far, he's stuck facing one of these three, and it's just like, yeah, okay, bye. But like a Chapel, so though. Just, like, if, if Chapel didn't crazy, have to. We keep. If, sure, if, if Chapel didn't have to play Djokovic in the semis. I think he probably would have won because he like I like I'm sorry like like Djokovic had way more trouble against Chapo than he did against Balatini Bala 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 whatever his name is Baratini I forget I didn't know his name but whatever he was like that guy was worse that's the reality of the I bracket mean, like I get it but I mean Baratini won a set and he is higher sorry, ranked Baratini. in the world so I have I have a hard time saying that because those two facts are true. But yeah, but, like to me, watching watching both matches, I felt like Chapo was more dangerous and really had more plays in his favor. Where Biratini, to me, like I always kind of felt like even him winning the first set, I'm like it really didn't feel as close as Chapo. And I know I'm slightly biased being Canadian and wanting Chapo to do good, but that's just the way I felt in the match. Like at times, especially in the first set when Chapo went up an early break, I'm like, man, he could do it. Later in the match, no, by the time I got to third set, it was over. But I never even felt that even after Berrettini was up a set that I'm like, no, Djokovic has this the entire time. Yep, I totally agree. We have spent the first 20 minutes of this podcast talking about tennis. For all our tennis fans out there, you're welcome. Um, but, hey, I mean, it's just one of those things that it's just so incredible to see. Um, and, and talk about something incredible to see. Um, let's, uh, let's get into Euro Cup. Uh, because the Euro Cup finished up last weekend, and uh, yeah, wild, absolutely wild. Um, Italy ends up taking it home in penalties, and I think th- there's a couple different kind of areas that we can go with this. Uh, and I think I want to start with um, so England scores in the first two minutes of the game, and the crowd goes wild. Like it's it what's at Wembley? Like they absolutely go bananas. Like London's going nuts, and then after that, like Italy scores, and I what was it the 60th minute or 70th minute somewhere in there, and it was all Italy after that. Like England was just trying to get to penalties as best they could. They get to the penalties. They made some late substitutions for guys who they thought were going to kick, and the goalies put on a show in the penalty kicks. Like how often do you see? I think I think there was what five saves. Now one was a post, but like five, like five didn't go in. We never see I mean, that. No, you don't. A couple of the shots by the England players weren't great, and putting those like a nineteen-year-old in that spot with the euros on the line is still—it's such an England thing to do. And nothing killed me more than the comment I saw. So England went up one nothing, like two minutes into the game, and all I hear is a comment was uh, on Twitter was. Didn't everyone say the England is the Leafs of international soccer? Ooh. And so this person then hammered Italy because it was like plus 450 for Italy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, England is the Leafs of soccer. They always seem to be super good on paper, but can never get it done when it matters. And, and you saw it once again. Sorry. Let me, let me cut in here. And 
the last time that they won a, a major tournament, Euros, World Cup, was before 1967. So their losing streak, their drought, their major championship drought is longer than ours. So if you think about it, let's look at it from this perspective. The Leafs are the English of hockey. Let's let's look at it from that perspective. They they're they're worse than us. They they do it all the time. I mean, we're bad, but they started it. I mean, at, at that at that rate, does it matter who's worse? Yes, it does. <laughs> to be because, honest, does it matter? Yes, because they're worse. So suck it. That's just how it is. And like that was the thing watching this game is he's like. I didn't really have a dog in the fight. I didn't really care um, one way or the other. I'm not English. I'm not freaking Italian. Like, it doesn't matter to me. But, like, deep, like, I, like in a way, I wanted a good game. I just wanted a good, exciting game, penalties, whatever. I always feel like finals always go to penalties. Like, you get to 1-1 or 0-0 late, and they're like, ah, oh, let's just get to penalties. Um, but <laughs> watching that game late, I'm like, man, I really hope Italy wins here because – the Leafs then won't have the longest losing streak. That's that was like deep down. Like I don't know how it always comes back to the Leafs, but it does. It's still the stupidest thing in the world to me that soccer still does it. That everything comes down to penalties for a sport where there's zero goals. Like penalties are usually above fifty percent scoring. Like it's I like Shane Bacon's tweet the other day. He was just talking about. It. He's like. What if the British Open or the Open Championship this weekend, if there's just a tie and they just hit 10 footers until somebody misses? Like, that's basically the equivalent. Yeah. If golf, you're just going to sit there and hit 10 footers until somebody misses? Like, to me, it's just stupid. Play golden goal until somebody scores. Somebody's going to score eventually. They Why got don't you just Somebody's going to get tired. Just do it. How about, how about what, if, like, what if you did this? What if you, like, did, uh, like, did another 45 minutes and every. 10 minutes you took a guy off the field like you like you have 11 like you what you have 11 guys on the field if you get a red card by the way tough shit like that's just how it works like you go down a guy but like you go from 11 to 10 to 9 to 8 then it's halftime so you have seven guys on a goalie and then you go down 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 until you have until it's like two on two and i don't care move the nets in like i don't care like i think that would be amazing but yeah, you see it all the time. Like, I mean, in soccer, you've seen you've seen nine v nine or nine v ten a bunch. You've seen multiple red cards handed out, so it happens. So that's a realistically play. But to me, just keep playing till somebody scores. Somebody's gonna score. This is the biggest championship. I mean, second biggest championship to the World Cup. Like to have it go to penalties to me is just so stupid. But it was just such an English thing in England as a team, and I don't. You can't really call it a franchise. Just as an organization and sports body to make stupid mistakes. Like those subs were just horrible. You didn't have your best players all tournament take shots. You had a 19 year old take your fifth shot with euros on the line. And yeah, it was a good save for sure. And there was some good saves, but to me, that wasn't even the corner. Like he hit it right middle. It wasn't, he didn't pick that corner. He didn't put it with that much pace. It, It was a good save still. You guessed right, but it wasn't that hard of a save once he guessed right. And how do you put a 19-year-old in that position? It was just such an England thing to do. Like, it's just something that they do at all these major things. They just make stupid decisions. Well, not only that, too, but they also, like, like look at the goal that Italy scored to tie it up. I mean, corner comes in, you know, it's bouncing around all over the place. And, it, like, all of a sudden it just, like, it's like a brain fart. It seriously is like, uh, it's like when, when Montreal scored that overtime goal... And 
the Tampa players just like had a brain fart and forgot how to play. Like that's just kind of what happened. And I, I, I don't know. It was just, uh, it was just pretty wild. Um, now I just want to get into one more thing about England before we move on here. And it's a serious note. So after the game, Marcus Rashford, Jaden Sancho, uh, Bukoya Saka, these guys were subject subjected to uh, racist comments, hate on Twitter, um, all that kind of stuff. And like, I mean, I, we've done this multiple times. Um, you know, we've done this multiple times on the podcast where we, anytime we get out, we get this stuff. Uh, we always call it out, and that's something that I just want to call out publicly because. Um, no matter what the situation is and they, and they've had this issue in European soccer for a long time that African-American players, uh, or, or, you know, black players are always subject to this sort of hate and it's absolutely ridiculous. And like, just considering how young these kids are in the moment that they're playing in, um, like, like there should be some understanding there, but for whatever reason, uh, English fans just cannot get it out of their system and all these random accounts. And you want to know why you keep losing? If you keep treating your players like this, sorry, karma's a bitch. So you want to treat your players like this? Then guess what's going to happen in the future? You're just going to continue to lose until you get your head out of your ass. Yeah, I mean, it's always been a horrible thing in European football. It's it's crazy to see and just not good. And I mean, nothing killed me a few years ago. I think it was in, it might have been uh, the Spanish League, but uh, somebody threw a banana at Danny Alves when he was taking a corner kick. Yeah. And he picked it up and ate it in the corner. And his comments <laughs> afterwards, because they ended up winning the game on that corner, basically, he was like, I just want to, instead of taking the negative way and kind of going at the fans and stuff. He just thanks the fans. He's like, thanks for the fans for giving me that extra bit of potassium and that extra bit of energy so I could curl that corner in and get the game-winning goal. But, yeah, I mean, how funny that moment was and how Danny Alves took that. It's still horrible, and you see it so much. And I don't know how to stop it. I get it. You're passionate and you care, and you're trying to find a way of venting about the loss, but that's the wrong way to do it. Say they should have scored. You know what? Critique them for how they play soccer, for the mistakes they made. You 100% can do that. They earn a lot of money to play soccer. I mean, you saw Lionel Messi's contract today. You can critique them for their soccer. You can critique them for all that sorts of stuff, but don't critique them for their skin color or race or sexuality or any of that. Critique them for not being a good enough soccer player on that day. Well, that's one of the nice things about, like, I, I mean, sometimes you see it in the NHL, but for the most part, um, like, you don't you don't see it as much. You just don't like guys like you see the media, they'll absolutely rip apart guys for whatever, like Morgan Riley, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. They're like, trade them, blah, they're garbage, blah. They never bring up their family, right? Almost never. Now, the Mark Shifley thing, okay, family got brought up. Now, that was, again, a little bit different. Um, but again, an, an instance of where it's happened, but it's just, uh, it's just seldom. Um, but hey, you know what? We, we condemn that garbage. And let's just hope that the English fans can learn from it so that they don't, so that, I mean, this drought can get unplugged because if they, I, I have, I'm a firm believer here that, it, that what goes around comes around. If you're going to treat your players like that, guess what's going to happen for you in the future? Nothing good. Now, Cam, we have, I'm going to interrupt the headlines here because we have a surprise guest in studio and he was going to come on the podcast last week, couldn't make it, uh, but we have a friend of the show, 
Nathan in the studio. Nate, how are you doing today? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. And how about you guys? Well, I'm, I'm doing great. Cam's face right now is just irking because he knows what's coming. Um, Nate, let's ask you this. So part of the reason that we brought Nate in is Nate is a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. Nate, give me your reaction to the to Tampa Bay and them going back to back. I uh, yeah, I can't say anything other than back to back, baby. Woo! And you know what? It it was a good run by Montreal. I see Cam's face here, and it's it's all smiles right now. We've been going back and forth, and him and I in Game Five. I was really uh, trying to get him going with text messaging the whole time, and uh, I think I got to him a little bit. But you know what? Overall, it was a good series, um, good, good run by Montreal, and as I listened to the pod last week, and good things to come from them. So, This is not what I expected at all. I expected way more gloating, no credit to Montreal, and just just gloating on the back-to-back, but uh, Nate, Nate comes in here and surprises me. Oh, I, I can't crush you too much, seeing as how uh, we have to send the cup back to Montreal to get fixed. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what? You win the cup for the second year, and now you just got to go disrespecting it and everything that's come before it. Oh, you know what? We took two, and now nobody can have a perfect cup after us. So, you know what? I'm okay with it. Okay, let me let me let me go to this. So, um, Cam, you were not you were rattled with with Kucherov and what he had to say uh, last week. And then we go to this week and we see Kucherov is going like even farther than Ovechkin went farther. Somehow every interview that this guy's had in the last a week has been just absolutely obliterated. Um, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Nate comment on Kucherov and then I'm going to let you go back at him here. Oh, you know what? The guy's a beaut. He's normally been this quiet guy, kind of reserved, and he's just come full out, and I love it. Tarps off. Let's go, baby. And you know what? His rant the other day might have been a little excessive going at Montreal, but you know what? Back-to-back champs. Rip into them a little bit, and he he got a sponsorship out of it. Who did you get sponsored by? Look, Bud Light. Bud Light sponsored him for that? Yeah. Him, oh, him and Bazzi. How did you miss that? I don't know how I missed that. I did not. So, like, is that why they have the the shirts? The Bud Light shirts? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I see what it is. You're $18 million over the cap, and you get sponsorships in Tampa for two Russians. Oh, that makes total sense. I get it. So, other guys do get sponsorships. So, what the fuck do you know about that? Yeah, that goes back to it. It helps your argument with guys don't get sponsored there. But you know what? They haven't been sponsored thus far. And how do you not sponsor back-to-back champs? I, I don't know. You just don't. And again... Yeah. Like I've said about Kucherov, I love some of the stuff, especially in the last week. He seems to have settled down with the uh, ripping on the Habs fans and the Habs, and he's just back to enjoying the championship. And you have all the right to enjoy the championship. Take your tarp off, have a blast, drink a ton of beers. You should. You won the championship. You deserve to do all that. I just thought he crossed the line with the fans and everything. Everything else is fun. I loved when Ovechkin did it. It was so much fun to see a guy who worked that hard win a cup finally. So... I'm all about that. You won a championship, especially after everything that's gone on the last two years. It's really, they're celebrating too. So all that stuff I love, especially seeing a guy who doesn't go and doesn't talk much, enjoying it that much for sure. It's super fun to see, even with how devastated I was, the Habs lost. 
again, I just thought he crossed the lines a little bit with that. And I understand everything around it, but I love seeing everything else that he's doing. It's super fun. Even everything, Bud Light, all these shirts that they're coming out with number one bullshit and 18 mil over the cap. That's fun. That's, that's what this should be about for Tampa fans and Kucherov. I love it. Well, I will, I will just, I'll hop in here and just say, well, I, I, I support it as well. I was just saying to Nate earlier tonight that it's one of those things where like when the boys get together, us and our friends get together and we do dumb drunk shit, nobody's there to record it. I couldn't even imagine if like every little drunk thing that you say is like national news. Like he's swearing on the report of the reporters like, oh, fuck, can't say that, bro. And he's like, I don't give a fuck. War champs back to back Champa Bay. Like all this kind of shit. So I like it. Um, okay. I'm going to move off this topic. Nate's going to, I want to, I want to, we got a couple more things I want to talk about briefly and then we're going to kick Nate out of here. So the first one is, um, Nate, the Edmonton Oilers, uh, traded for Duncan Keith and they didn't, they, you know, no, no money was held back. They traded a, I think it was a third, second or third round pick and they traded a prospect over um, what was your reaction to the, the trade? Who do you think won the trade? And can Duncan Keith positively affect the Edmonton Oilers next season? Um, well, you know what? I don't think it was a bad trade overall. Um, Edmonton's getting that that guy, that veteran that'll bring the, the winning culture in. And I think that's what Edmonton needs to kind of push them over the edge. Plus, they get some of that defensive help. Although his numbers have been dropping over the past couple of years, I, I still think it's solid. Um, now, they gave up a conditional third that will change to a second if they make it to the conference finals, I believe. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what it was. So, a little pricey on the pick, I would say. But you know what? Overall, I think that's what Edmonton needs. Now, I've been hearing some back-end reports, I not officially confirmed, but if Keith doesn't play his second year, the money goes back against Chicago's cap, and Edmonton actually gets negative 3.5 mil against their cap. So they can go over the cap by 3.5. Oh, dang. Nate's coming in with some hot news. I had no idea about that. I don't know if you did, Cam, but... Yeah, so I did know that Chicago, similar to the Shea Weber and Nashville contract, it was signed after that veteran maximum because of his age and stuff. I didn't know Edmonton saved that much. But I did know that most of the cap goes back to Chicago if he does retire, the same way that if Shea Weber retires, Nashville actually gets screwed in the thing. To me, it still seemed like a lot to give up, especially with no salary retained. Caleb Jones isn't just a prospect. He's actually a really decent NHL defender. He looks like he's going to be a top four for years and probably doesn't have the high end as Duncan Keith and look that good. But Caleb Jones is a good NHL defenseman. I think he could fit in, slide in as a good four on a team. And the other thing Chicago did with that deal is there's another Jones, his brother, who's looking to get out of where he is. So you bring in his brother, you save a bunch of cap by getting rid of Duncan Keith. To me, Chicago won here huge. Do I think Duncan Keith can be a really important piece and really help out Edmonton? Yeah. But the salary cap and how much money they're paying him really kind of worries me, especially with the other cap constraints that team already has. I, I just like to comment one thing is, and I, and I look at it, you guys have kind of covered everything over the trade here. I love it. Um, the, the comments that Ken Holland made. So Ken Holland was basically asked by a reporter, um, hey, like, like this is obviously not what the quote is, but it was like, hey, 
uh, do you think you gave up too much? Like, could you have gotten more? Could you have pressed them a little bit more for Keith? Maybe they could have held some salary. Uh, maybe you didn't have to give up so much. And he says, well, what did you want us to do? Get them for free? And I'm like, by that comment, by that comment, what he's saying is, is that he thinks they essentially got him for free. Because if he's, if he's saying, if he's outright saying, which he did, um, oh, well, we, what did you want us to get him for free? That means he's thinking that they got him for next to free. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, like, I, I, and, and just, just ask the Leafs how this has worked out. I mean, yeah, okay, Spets has been fine, but like when you bring in these sorts of veteran guys, like yeah, it could make a difference in your room, but they still have to produce, man. You can't you can't bring in veteran guys and them do absolutely nothing. I'm not saying that Duncan Keith's going to be absolutely nothing, but I, I mean Edmonton, if Caleb Jones is just as good as you said, like I don't know if this is something that's going to necessarily improve the team immediately. And like Nate said, like sure, you got to bring in veteran guys, but it's just going to take more than one guy. So if you're bringing in a guy who um, who you, you guys are kind of both saying Chicago won this trade. I don't see how this in the long term is going to show this positive effect. Again, three cups, I get it. But in that in that long term, especially if the retirement's on the table, I'm not convinced. Sorry, did you just compare a three-time Stanley Cup champion and Duncan Keith to a perennial loser and Jason Spezza? Uh, well, I was more so saying overall, like Patrick Marlowe or Wayne Simmons. Sorry, are, are they're both perennial losers too, aren't they? Jake, <laughs> Jake Muzzin's won two cups. I'm just saying. I think it's yeah, not. Yeah, but Jake Muzzin's in his prime. I know it's not. It's not a great comparison. I'm just saying that other teams have brought in veteran guys, and it's it just like yeah, it's, it's we're not no talking Ke- scrubs here either. What? It's no Corey Perry, multiple cup winner who was huge. Oh, in well, guess so, what? He didn't win a cup this year either, so you can he, suck it. He's lost to Tampa back to back. Oh, that's even worse. That is that yeah, is true. So he's actually. just going for he's going for the Marion Hosa, so this year he's gonna win the cup. He doesn't know how to get it done. Okay, well I gotta stop that stop that chatter. So all right. I, one more thing, Nate, then we're gonna let you go. So we um today was the first day that uh you know, I, I got added into uh, into an NFL fantasy kind of draft pool. Um, it's coming up. Um, we're drafting this one league. We're 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 gonna run an over six league with with some buddies. I'll see if we can do a different league, but we're gonna find out. Um, and uh, there'll obviously be limited spots. Can't get everybody in. If we have openings, I'll let everybody know. Um, but I got out of my first one today. I have the first overall pick. Um, give me a a brief picture of what you're seeing from Carolina this year. Uh, I want to know a, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to have you back on at any point, but I want to get, give me a prediction on their record. And should I take uh, Christian McCaffrey first overall in this draft? You know what? Um, well, for starters, Carolina, best team out there. They're, they're going to do it this year. That's not true. And I'm going to win our bet, Zach. You are not. So just to anybody listening, our bet with Nate, uh, my, Nate my bet with Nathan is, is that, uh, the Miami Dolphins will win the division before uh, the Carolina Panthers win the Super Bowl, and it's a five-year bet. So this is how ridiculous this bet is. I at least have a chance to win this bet. You have no chance to win this okay, bet. Okay, well, it's going to happen this year. And I know a bunch of listeners right now have their mouths wide open. I've been told this is a dumb bet. Zach knows how to get me going, and he was getting me going one night, and he threw this out there. So I, I had to take the bet. So... Anyway, um, back to your first overall pick. Um, 
I think McCaffrey definitely has the potential there. And if I was in your position, one, he's my boy, and I kind of have a bias for it. Um, but I think he's on a comeback year coming up. Um, do I think he does as well as he did in the 2019 season? Probably not. There's some chatter that they're trying to uh, lessen his touches just because uh, their, their receiving core now is much better. Um, but overall, I don't think he can go wrong. Um, there is also Delvin Cook you could go for or Kamara. Now, Kamara... Um, can't go wrong there but the saints i wonder how they do with drew Brees gone that yep. leadership is gone and now they're relying on winston or Taysom hill which they did well in the past when breeze was hurt so there could be nothing changed there um no i mean that makes sense um yeah i mean that's kind of the debate that i'm having right now cam you want to jump in on that yeah, to me, like McCaffrey still has the high upside and everything, but like him and Barkley just scare me in the top five still. Like I know McCaffrey can get it done. To me, based on my last year's uh, fantasy football, I think I'd play it way more safe and go over with a guy like Dalvin Cook just because, yeah, he doesn't have the upside McCaffrey has, but he just seems like a lot safer bet. And I mean, you don't want a guy who can get injured that much and miss that much. So to me, Dalvin Cook might be where I'd lean just based on safety. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. Sa- uh, Saquon Barkley is, to me, untouchable in the first round. Untouchable. If anybody takes him in the first round, I would be absolutely shocked. I actually looked today, and he's actually, I think, fifth. Like, he he's slated to go fifth overall, fifth or sixth overall. And I'm like, who in their right mind is taking Saquon? Like, the guy legitimately has not put up numbers the last two years. And, like, ask Le'Veon Bell what happens. I know it's a little bit different because, like, he wasn't injured. But, like, ask Lev Bell. You take a year off, guess what happens? You get rolled. Like, you you were not – he was – Lev Bell, before he took a year off, was, I think, the first overall pick, the second overall pick in fantasy draft. And then the next year, he took a year off. And then the next year, he was a bum. And you could, you could have picked him up on waivers seven times last season. Yeah, running back's a hard one to come off of taking a year off for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely agree, but if Saquon Barkley is available at 10 in any of your drafts and you're 10th overall, you need to take him. He's still going to be a top five in most drafts. I know you can say whatever, but he's still there. He still has that potential in that high end. If he's around at 10, I'm taking Barkley over a guy like Aaron Jones. The potential is just so much higher. It's not even comparable. Okay, so, but like, why would you not then take Tyreek Hill at 10? Because he's like, 10 11 i just think the wide receivers are still easier to come by later in the draft where running backs tend to go fast especially starting running backs well i mean yes i mean you should have 30 starting running backs but like the the reality is though is that you're the purpose of the team is you got to get the most points possible and tyree kill has been a machine like you know that he's going to put up like what on his down days he's getting 9 10 points like i don't know you probably can get 9 10 points out of some bum um but anyway nate how is carolina going to play this year and then we will bid you adieu um so i guess it really comes down to how darnold's going to play and that is the big question mark i forgot sam darnold was playing for the panthers that is so unfortunate you got a guy who think who sees ghosts on the field playing for you oh no his career's going to be resurrected here he's coming for tom brady we're coming for the division <laughs> you think that this guy's jesus he just doesn't come back on the third season and save your and save the world. Oh, that's what the Panther magic can do for you. Um, anyway, you know what? I think they're on an upwards trajectory. Um, we made some good picks this past year. We we got the needs 
that that were required and hmm as far as record goes i want to say on a positive note 11 and 6 and we're going to snag get a, the fuck yeah. out of here no chance well i want to say 17 and 0 first team to do it cheapers oh, come on give me a realistic but one but 11 and 6 and i think we can snag a wild card spot i think we got some teams in there that will be easy to beat easy to overcome um and yeah, we could do it. Now downside, um, I would say six and eleven or seven and ten. Okay, I like those numbers a lot better. Uh, the, the eleven and six is not going to happen. I'm just, I, I, I will bet you legitimately right now that it doesn't go that. You're not getting me going again, Berkey. <laughs> Cam, what do you think about that record for the Panthers? I mean, thinking that they're going to get double digit, double digit wins is definitely very optimistic. I think they're going to be a team that hovers right around the 500 mark, and it could go a game or two either way, to be honest. I think 500's got to be kind of where you're hoping they could finish. I mean, depending on what you hope for. Some people, if you can't win it, why even bother? So, Cup or bust. But I think kind of around that five, yeah. I think somewhere around that 500 mark's pretty realistic to think with that team. Best part about this year is that with an extra game, you cannot be 500. You're over 500 or you're below 500. That's why I said right around that 500. I didn't say they were going to go eight and eight. Yeah, that's true. You can tie. We've seen quite a few ties over the last few years. I think ties should be eliminated in the NFL personally. I mean, they've done at least like soccer, especially in regular season. Uh, Going back briefly to a Euro Cup thing, at least Euro Cup in, uh, you know, medal round, they finish the game. Like watching British Premier League soccer during the regular season is painful. Like, you get points for ties, and it's just so bad. But anyway, we digress. Yeah, let's just go to uh, kicking field goals to see who wins. I Yeah, I mean, hey, back it up. I actually like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I I mean, it does help the teams that are have unreal kickers, but, I mean, then you got to actually draft for it to keep it serious. Uh, Nate, thank you for stopping by. We appreciate your input. Happy to have you on the show, and uh, we'll be sure to have you down the road. Yeah, no problem, boy. Thanks for having me on. Love the pod, and keep it up. Will do. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Nathan, friend of the show. And we will, I'm sure, hear from him in the future. Cam, we got a couple more headlines to get to, and then we're going to jump right into uh, the U.S. Open. uh, Or sorry, the U.S. Open. British Open, a.k.a. the Open. Sorry, whatever. The Open Championships. By the way, did you see the quote from... uh, fucking dustin johnson like reporter was like hey what do you call this thing he's like well as a kid i call it the british open what do you call it now the open championship because that's its name dustin johnson the worst interview in the on the pga or the best depending how you look at it i think it's the worst but he, he's like who's, who's more who's more boring in an interview dustin johnson carrie price or nick suzuki cool let's pick a different hab connor mcdavid uh, Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby can yeah. be thrown in there. Connor too. McDavid, Dustin Johnson, and let's look at the NFL. Marshawn Lynch. Who gives you the most input in an interview? Marshawn Lynch, I want to see interviewed way more than those <laughs> other guys, though. <laughs> he doesn't give me any info, though. He just says he's there to not get fined. I mean, that's nothing. Like, DJ oh, talks all. about Skittles. Uh, t- well, I mean, hey. Okay, talking about sponsorship, this guy got a this guy got a sponsorship from just talking about Skittles. He's been in Skittles commercials. It's actually unreal. Um, maybe if we talk about products. Hey, this episode brought to you by Twisted Tea. Twisted Tea. If you're listening, you should sponsor the Over Six Sports Podcast because that's 
delicious. Gam doesn't think so. Because we tr- drink way too many of them. So we could definitely <laughs> have a That's, sponsorship. That would definitely help. That would help. That would help because we could put a nice banner up. Twisted Tea, hit us up. Uh, we uh, we would love to be spokespeople for Twisted Tea because we like it. Buy Twisted Tea, especially the half and half. This shit's good. Better than the original. Do you like the half and half better than the original? No, the half and half is by far the best. It's not even close. Like the peach and the raspberry is like okay, but like I think, if I, okay, yeah. If to you me, were it's half and half, fr- then original. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll rank what? them right now. Half and half yeah. is the best. Then original. Then peach. Then raspberry is way at the bottom. Like I can't okay, there's a couple other kinds. I don't think I've had the other. I've had like the mixer packs. So like raspberry is obviously the worst. I don't know what yeah, it is. Sure. It's just the the raspberry and the tea just does not. Like it just doesn't work. The peach is not no. bad. I just wish that the peach wasn't as sweet. I think that's my big problem. Is like you have one of the peach twisted, and it's like, ugh, it's just, it's just like sticky in your like it's gross. I don't know. Like it's it's fine, yeah, it's but almost like, like they added that Tim Hortons peach drink, a little bit of that to it. Yeah, instead of just like a little peach flavoring, like you'd have in like a tea. Th- that's exactly what it twist- is. Yeah, it's definitely like yeah. They just pour a little bit of that peach drink from Tim Hortons into it, and that's it. So it's yeah, half it's, and it's, half. It's, it's, it's decent, twisted, but. Yeah, it's Twisted Tea with half Tim Hortons peach drink, which, by the way, I loved as a kid. Don't get me wrong. Like six, seven years old playing soccer, you go back for your free donut when you're playing Tim Bits soccer or whatever it was. Got that peach shit. And then, yeah, and then definitely regular and then half and half at the top. It's like it's like an Arnie Palmer, but alcohol with Arnie Palmer. Yeah, but it's not quite a John Daly because it's not vodka. Is it not vodka? I actually don't know what Twisted Tea is. It's all beer based. Twisted oh, Tea's beer-based. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's malt-based. Yeah, you're right. Well, listeners, you got a our, our listeners got a <laughs> breakdown of Twisted Tea. We have sports to talk about, but we talk about Twisted Tea because that's what we do on the Over 6 Sports Podcast. That's why it's called Over 6. We have six Twisted Teas. Uh, not actually, but uh, we, we do drink them on the pot. Anyway, I digress. I just wanted to chat about Twisted Tea because it's awesome. Um, okay, let's hammer through these other ones. We got to get to the Brit- the British Open, aka the Open Championship here. Uh, NBA, uh, the uh, Phoenix Suns are up two to uh, two to one um, on the Milwaukee Bucks, and it's uh, it's I mean the, the the game the next game is the, the make or break, right? Like game tonight, I think it's at nine o'clock. Uh, if you're well, I mean this is Wednesday, but uh, it's at nine o'clock, and if the Suns win this game, it's over. If the Bucks win, anything can happen. I don't know. I mean, I it, the Suns go up three one. It's like it, you're going back to Phoenix. It's it's curtains for the Bucks. Um, you tie it up and let's let's roll the dice and see what happens. Yeah, I'll be one hundred percent honest here. I have not watched one second of game time in the NBA Finals. I. I can't get into it this year without the Raptors being there. I haven't. And I think the Suns are an awesome story and I still think they win. I mean, nothing's killing me more than seeing that uh, water bottle Devin Booker had with book on it and everyone just comparing it to the space jam, like yeah. magic potion or secret whatever. Stu- no, no, secret stuff. The secret stuff. Yeah. The secret stuff. And just like the way he had it taped up and it just saying book on it. Book. That's about as far as my <laughs> NBA finals is. By the way, watching is gone. Shout out space jam. That. Shout out space jam. Uh, new legacy. I think it's called. Or something like that, legacy, something like that comes up Friday, July sixteenth. Um, shout out to Space Jam with LeBron James and F- and also Bugs Bunny and Lola Bunny and Daffy Duck. I have I haven't seen it yet, and it's still already worse than the first. 
that I mean anybody born in the '90s is gonna think so, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited that the the gen the, this generation of young kids gets to watch something because they don't they don't give a rat's ass who Michael Jordan is. Let's be honest. If you're five, six, seven, eight years old, you're like Michael Jordan who? But you know who LeBron is. So I'll give them that. I like I I'll give them that they've kept the franchise alive. I like it. Whether or not the movie's great, I guarantee you. I agree with you. I, I it won't be as good as the first one. Um. Maybe it is, though. I don't know. Animation's going to be better. Uh, but Suns Bucks, um, I've watched a little bit. Uh, game three, uh, Giannis and the team, they moved the ball really well. I don't know what was going on with the Suns defense that game. They just did not show up whatsoever. They were allowing easy, easy, easy penetration from the outside. They were giving up uh, three. Like, Brooke Lopez had way too many looks. Um I mean, Brooke Lopez isn't the three-point expert, but man, like this guy had way too many looks, and he can hit some. Um, and when they didn't, when they when they locked down that three zone, it was just Giannis under the basket. I probably watched half of that game, and I saw Giannis slam down like four or five easy ones, not even contested. Um, you can call it a one-off. I mean, you can call it whatever you want, um, but I don't know. I it's just one of those things where, um, you know, like the Bucks won one twenty to one hundred. And they needed that one. There's no doubt about it. So obviously there's going to be more desperation there. Uh, but they got to bring the same desperation tonight because if the Suns come out, if Chris Paul, Devin Booker, those guys come out and just shoot the lights out, um, it's going to be curtains for the Bucks, and they're going to be on their, uh, you know, on that continued uh, lack of success over and over and over again. Yeah, to me, like watching the highlights and seeing the like game stats and everything, it looked like Giannis finally took over or was a massive part of a win in the playoffs, which he hasn't done in his career. I mean, he had 41 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and a steal. That's a pretty good line. That means you actually showed up in the playoffs, which he hasn't really done over his career. So, I mean, to at least do it in a finals and a must-win game, basically, it was at least good to see that. I mean, it sounds like it was a lot of easy baskets from everything I've seen, but he still did it. You still have to make the baskets. You yep. still have to get the job done, and he did it. So, I mean, definitely makes the series a little more interesting. I mean, after everything that's gone on with Phoenix this year with that fan and four in a row and everything going on, you're like, man, they're not seriously going to sweep the finals too. And, and they're not. But, I mean, I still want to see Phoenix win. I really, for some reason, I, I actually have nothing against him, but I don't really want to see Giannis win. <laughs> It's because he didn't come to Toronto. Yeah, that's exactly. I'll, I'll that, say it's because he didn't yeah. come to Toronto. Oh, 100 percent. I was just about to call you out and be like, "What do you mean you don't know how why why you hate Giannis? You're just bitter that he didn't sign with us." Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, I I I really kind of hope it's a it's a series because I'm really tired of major championships ending in five games. Haha, <laughs> funny. <laughs> I was I was legitimately just gonna let that hang there until you said something. So I'm glad you I'm glad you said something early. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Vladdy last night puts on an absolute show at the all-star game. Like if you weren't excited about this guy before, and I know most Blue Jays fans are, but just in terms of the league, like a lot of these guys, like a lot of the American people, like teams, players, whatever, never get to see Vladdy. Man, if you didn't know the name Vladimir Guerrero Jr. before, you definitely do now. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a weird comment because everyone knows who Vlad Guerrero is because of his dad. Do they? But yeah, I mean, he do he they? showed up yesterday. They do. But he showed up yesterday in a huge way. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I only stayed out for the first inning, and in the first inning, he almost killed Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer he was did. almost dead. That was like six inches away from his face and almost killed him. But, uh, yeah, I watched the highlights and everything, and what? He hit that ball 463 feet. 
Oh, I was. I stupid. mean, I know it's elevation, but as soon as it hit the bat, you're like, man, that Goodbye. is gone, and that has gone a long way. It's just a different sound off his bat, and I mean, he's the youngest player ever to win an all-star MVP and just everything around the game was awesome. I don't know if you saw his glove at all there, Zach, but I it did. was just made up of the, made up of the collage of him and his dad. And I mean, everything you've seen from it, again, like him being with his dad at all-star games and growing up there and now he's an all-star and he's not only an all-star, he's doing everything he did there. And I'm mean, youngest all-star to ever win uh MVP of the game. Like he got the bat. He's, yeah. uh, his stuff's going to the Hall of Fame. like Yeah, it's just such a cool moment. But again, we were still reminded that how amazing Vlad is and how much he's the highlight, especially being a Jays fan right now, it's the Shohei Otani League. It is all about Shohei, and this All-Star game and home run derby showed it that this is the most exciting player I think we'll ever see. To be honest, he's the most exciting player I've ever seen in baseball. This guy's hitting 100, throwing it in an All-Star game. And he's still batting. And then that show he put on in the home run derby was ridiculous. I mean, all props to Pete Alonzo. But that night again was Shoei Otani. Okay. I'm going to give you a hot take. I think Shoei Otani is an overrated hitter. And I'm going to tell you why he's an overrated hitter. Because I think that pitchers that pitch to him are like, oh, man, this guy's a pitcher. Like, I know he's got all these home runs, but he can't hit a home run off me. And then he does. I think pitchers are like, shit, I really thought that he wouldn't have hit that one. Give it a couple years. If he's still hitting, like if he's jacking bombs next year and the year after that, okay, give him some props. But I don't want to, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I, I think that you can get, I mean, Vlad Guerrero, like his first year, he hit, like he hit some bombs and then pitchers started to figure him out and then he changed how he played. And now it's like, now you're three years, four, however, three or four years into his career, and now you like, okay, yeah, this guy knows how to hit baseballs. Get let's let, let's see what Otani does next year. I, I'm not I'm not about to crown him the king of the MLB after just this season. It's impressive. Don't get me wrong. Like a pitcher hitting that many home runs is amazing. Hitting one home run is amazing as a pitcher. I want to see some sustained success, success here though before I crown him as this god of baseball because I'm not. And then clip this for next year. I don't care. Like, clip it for next year. I could be dead wrong. I don't watch Shohei Otani play every day, so I could be dead wrong. But, hey, I, that's just my opinion. If you disagree with it, amazing. Um, but that that's where I'm at. I just don't I, I just don't see how this is sustainable from him. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I do see your argument. I definitely think that there's some aspect of pitchers challenging him more, being like, all right, hit this. But he keeps doing it. So why are the same pitchers pitching to him again, being like, oh, you did it once, now do it again. Now the pitchers are just being dumb because he's still an elite hitter. I mean, you see guys throw it up to, like, Danny Jansen. He can't hit it. They pan, pound fastballs against Biggio occasionally. Biggio can't hit the fastball. Shohei Otani can. And, I mean, yeah, it's they're challenging him and forcing him to, but he's still hitting it. And just you saw everything he did this weekend with the home run derby and then throwing 100 and everything. Like, he's... He was an all-star as a hitter and a pitcher. It's incredible. I know like whether you downgrade that or not, his hitting, it's still ridiculous and incredible. And him in the home run derby, it's just it's nuts. And to me, he just showed that he's the most exciting player in baseball right now. And it should be about him right now. Maybe next year it's not, but this year it is about Shohei Otani and he's running away with the MVP. <laughs> Vlad might win a triple crown and not win the MVP. Yep. No, I, I don't, as I said, I'm not, I, this, I am not trying to take anything away from Shohei this year. Abs- like not at all. I'm just saying overall, 
like I just heard this stuff about he's the face of baseball and he's this, he's that. I'm like, okay, like let's pump the brakes a little bit on that because he's like, to be honest, I didn't hear his name before this year. So I don't know how you become the face of baseball in four months, but the last time I checked, that, that that's not how it works. I mean, guys like yeah, I mean he's he's been huge since he came over two years ago. I have he not, was massive last year. I did he's not hear his interest. name last summer at all. Like legitimately did not. And it's not like I it, like we started this podcast in January, but like it's not like I I followed sports before. It's just his name's not like yeah. you I could just actually. You could argue even before this year, he's had more success than Guerrero so far in their careers. Like he's been that good. I mean, Guerrero wasn't very good in his first two years and he's taken a huge step, but to say Shohei's any less of a face than Vlad would be completely false. Cause he's had just as much success in previous years. I'm not saying less of a like face. I'm had, just saying like, you're yeah. not the face like the, like, okay. Like you could look at the NHL and if you want to say like Connor McDavid, the face of the NHL, I'd be like, no, like, he's a face of the NHL. Like, he's definitely a big player in the NHL. But guess what? The NHL is Canada, U.S. Like, like Patrick, Patrick Kane, Kane just, is just, just won the ESPY, right? For best, at, best, best, what was it, NHL player, which is ridiculous. Like, I think, I know it's American voters, but it's just stupid. Um, but, because he's not. Like, every, like, he's good, but he's not the best by any stretch. I mean, you could argue Braden Point's better than Patrick Kane right now. Um, but, like... Yeah, I don't know. I I think we're getting down a rabbit hole here of, of things that we don't really need to talk about on this episode. But um, yeah, like I mean, there's lots of faces and and uh, but like hey, as I said, shout out to Joey Otani, unreal. Um, I don't want to really get into this, but Stephen A. Smith had to eat some crow. He said some uh, some things that are a little insensitive, just about having translators and stuff. And I just like to say just one thing on that is like you can talk. I think this is with the whole face of the MLB. Stephen A. Smith was like, oh, if you're the face of the MLB, you shouldn't have a translator. And I'm like, guy, you understand that like half of the league <laughs> has translators like all like Vladdy, Otani, a lot of other Spanish people. Like, I don't know what you want from them, man. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that bothers me about it is the translators are there when they really don't need to be there because the guys can speak English, and I actually way rather see it. Like, I remember so many, like, for a bunch of years there, Edwin Encarnacion used to always have a translator. And then you heard him speak English. Yeah, it's mumbled, but it's still way better, and you saw way more personality when he was trying to speak English. And same with Vlad. You've heard Vlad speak English occasionally. He can okay. It's fine. It's definitely manageable. It's no worse than, like, Kucherov's English. And you just see way more personality with guys speaking that way. So I'd love to see that from Shohei too. I don't know if he actually can speak English at all, but guys like Vlad and stuff. But yeah, to try and go like what Steve A. Smith's saying, there's 50%, more than 50% of the superstars in the majors don't really speak English or have translators. So it's the wrong sport to try and do that in. Yeah. Okay. I mean, as I said, it's just one of those things where it is, you know what, it is what it is. I don't, really care about translators one way or the other can't say i'm passionate about that but what i am passionate about is the turf king report uh on the open championship uh course and the greens cam where are we playing this week in the pga and what can you tell us about the course with the turf king report yeah, so the Open Championship is back at Royal St. George. I believe it's the 13th time. It actually might be way more than that. I'm, that number might be way off. But it's been there quite a bit. It's in a regular rotation. It's a tough golf course. It's not overly long. I think the scorecard says it's 7,100 yards. 
ton of bunkers, couple massive ones. There's some with names, which anytime you name a bunker, you know, it's going to be tough. They got one hole without a bunker. And it's also the only hole that has a tree, which is kind of neat. But this course is just tough. You got 17, 18 that the last time the open was there, both played over par. So those are stretches coming in where a guy with a two stroke lead could easily blow it. Like getting in the clubhouse is huge. It looks like we're not going to have rain, which is kind of unfortunate. I like one day of rain and wind and just watch those guys struggle and the carnage that can go on at the open. But we are going to get a ton of wind. Every day it looks like we could have 30 kilometer plus winds, which is just going to make for a ton of fun because it's on the coast in Sandwich, England. And it's just going to be a ton of fun. I mean, I love watching this kind of golf. It's tough. You got to hit the fairway. Some of these bunkers, I mean, you've played Glencairn. Yep. If you're in it, you basically have to hit sideways. And that's the same as Royal St. George, where if you hit it in some of these bunkers, you're going out backwards or sideways. You can't even get to the green. So they're a full stroke. So that's where accuracy is going to be huge. But then just the ability and the creativity around the greens is going to be massive. So there's a couple guys who I just don't think will succeed at a golf course like this. But these are the golf courses that I love watching because you got to make shots. You got to hit it down the middle. And you got to stay out of trouble. But the wind and stuff just makes it fun. You see these guys hit these stingers. You see them play it low. You see these bump and runs, the putts from 30 yards off. And that's what this course is. This is a true link style. Ton of sand, ton of wind. It's going to be fun. I I, I love it. I, and this is this is every major that we have. I love getting to the Turf King Report, something that I look forward to. I'm sure something that our listeners obviously look forward to. Um, so we're going to get into the in, into the Open Championship and and just kind of who, what kind of bets are we going to throw down here? And we're going to do um, three players that are, we think are going to make the top five. We're going to do two miss that we're going to do a couple that are going to miss the cut, and then we're going to do two to three dark horses. Do you want to kick us off with your first uh, for the top five? Yeah, I mean, the guy I got to go with is the guy I pretty much always go with, and that's Jordan Spieth. The guy's just playing such good golf this year. I mean, he keeps finishing top tens and being up there, and he's a guy who's had a lot of success at the Open Championship. He's won it once, finished second once, and he's just always there. And he's I don't know, other than Phil, if there's anybody more creative around the greens, and especially out of bunkers, he's so good in those situations. So I think he's just going to have a ton of success. He struggles off the tee at times losing it, but again, he's just so creative and so good, such a good short game that I think he can manage. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, Jordan Spieth is in my in my three for top five for sure. Um, yeah, you know, and, and so like I only got two left now, so I I, I love that. I think it's fair. Um, so John Rahm is listed as the favorite. I mean, he did win the U.S. Open. He's playing really good golf. This golf course, as you said, is going to play tough. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with a guy who kind of grew up playing these courses. And I think Rory McIlroy is due. He hasn't played great golf recently. He's missed some cuts. But I think when you get him back in that element, kind of being close to home, um, you know, playing in the wind, which he grew up playing, I think is definitely going to give him an advantage. And if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at Rory McIlroy, and I'm just sorry, I'm just looking up the uh, the odds right now because I really want to see what the top five are. Do you have the top five odds in front of you? I got the win is plus 2,000. I don't have the top five off the top of my head. It's plus 400 for top five for Rory McIlroy. Okay, so plus 400 for me gives me, and I'm not trying to do a ton of bets here, like just in terms of like plus, like doing the spread but or whatever, but um, I don't know. Rory at plus 400, it seems like, 
I mean, you throw down a hundred, you're getting 400 bucks for a guy who's played in these conditions, grew up in these conditions and who's won major championships before. To me, I think it's a great bet and great value on a top five. Yeah, I don't mind it. But as you mentioned, the form just scares me. This is going to be such a hard golf course that if your form's not good, it's going to be tough out there. But I mean, yeah, he's played out there and it's Rory McIlroy. To me, when he's at the top of his game, I actually think his top end is better than John Rahm or DJ's. He just can't seem to find it and find that putter at the right times. These greens are going to play a little slower as the open always does, because I mean, with those wins on the coast, if they try and make them too fast, they're going to blow the ball off the greens. So, but yeah, the form just scares me with Rory. So, I mean, I get the play with it, but I'd stay away. Who do you got for your second so, uh, pick here? I'm going to move into this one. And this one's, again, I like the Euro style, especially in the open guys who play a lot of uh, European events. And Matthew Fitzpatrick is my next one. He had a really good showing last week, almost won the Scottish open, which was over there. And this guy just loves this weather. I mean, it killed me two years ago in the open when it was just pouring rain the one day, super windy. And he, he wasn't really in it. So he just started running around and running up to his ball and playing speed golf on like the last couple of holes. Cause it was brutal out there. If you're not going to win the championship, you're like, why do you want to even play in this? This guy grew up playing in there. He's from England. He knows how to get it done, and he his form's great. He's played really good golf this season, and he's coming off a top-five finish last week. At plus 700, I really like him this week. Yeah, I mean, that's, first of all, great. I mean, yeah, great odds at plus 700. Um, I'm going to go with my third. This is not a really a long shot, I don't feel, because the odds aren't there. There, So, my, as I said, this is my third top-five. Um, I had Rory. Jordan and my third's kind of off the board a little bit, but not really in terms of what the um, kind of what the betting numbers are saying. So my third is Sergio Garcia, um, and now his numbers actually at a top tens plus five fifty. I don't know what his top five is, um, but he has ten top tens in twenty three Open Championships played, and two of those is at Royal St George. So I mean. <laughs> Yeah, top 10 is a lot different than top five is, but the fact that pretty close to 50% of the time, a little bit less, 40% of the time you're making the top 10, uh, the difference between 10 and five is not that much. Like you're talking one, two, sometimes strokes, especially on a golf course that's playing tough. Um, Oftentimes on golf courses that are playing really, really tough, I mean, the leaders are going to be, could be three, four, five, six ahead and maybe a little bit less but generally they get really bunched up between 5 10 20 um and so hey i mean if sergio's got top 10 the you know 10 out of 23 um all it takes is one or two strokes to get you into the top five and then i don't i said i don't have the top five number in front of me in betting wise but um this guy's played good golf in his obviously in his career and he's a well-known name well well well-known enough name in the in the industry and it's not a sexy pick but I think that it, from an odds perspective, it could definitely be profitable. Yeah, he's plus 1,100 to make top five. So you really like those odds. And I mean, a Spaniard with a lot of sand, they're usually good. He's a, quite a creative player. So don't mind that pick at all, especially at plus 1,100 odds just to make the top five. That's great odds. And I like that pick a lot. My next one's kind of an odd one. And I mean, I was hoping it would be a dark horse, but I mean, I guess I was thinking the same as a lot of these uh, bookies. Louis Oosthuizen is plus 650 to make the top five. This guy just finishes second at every major. I think if he, I think he'd have seven majors if he gained like 12 strokes in those majors. And I think he only has two, but he's a guy who's right there. Again, a guy who's played a lot of European events. 
and he's played in the wind. He loves shaping the ball. He loves hitting it low. He loves doing all those things. So it's just another one where he's going to be right there. If he finishes top, out of the top 10, I'd be shocked. So again, top five to top 10, not that much of a difference. And the odds are much better getting him at plus 650. I really like it there. And I think it's a guy who's going to be competing. And I actually wouldn't mind throwing a little money on him to win it. Well, that's, Hey, I, I was actually reading today. Like you're right. Like, it was one of those things where it was under the radar for the last, like, cause, I mean, people like look into the stuff long before whatever, a day before a week before. Um, and he had some pretty big odds and then whatever happened, I don't know what it was, but somebody dug up a stat and then all of a sudden he just skyrocketed up into the, into favor in terms of just, you know, look at articles and bets and spread like all this kind of stuff about a Susan. And he's just like, he's just become a popular pick right now. So yeah, it's a month ago. It's a dark horse. And now it's like all out in the open. So the bookies know the bookies hear the chatter. Um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the miscut. Um, I'm going, I'll go first on this one. Um, Bryson DeChambeau is my miss the cut. I keep like, okay. And he's won a major this year. So like, I get it. I get it. Why are you betting against the guy who's, um, you know, why are you betting a guy who's betting against the guy who's won, uh, to, who's won a major and he's minus 375 to make the cut. Um, like to miss the cut, where is he on here? He's got to be pretty low. Um, sorry, give me one second here. He's plus 225 to miss the cut. So the numbers aren't that great, but, um, I was reading something today, just Lee Westwood talking about this course and just in course conditions or whatever the case is. And, and the course is going to be dry this weekend. So what he was basically saying, he's like, we, you need to almost water these fairways that they're going to be too dry. Cause this course was not designed to be played dry because these balls are going to run off the fairway into, into fescue. That's going to be like three feet long that you need a lob wedge or a 60 degree wedge to get out of sideways. Um, Bryson's strength is hitting the ball extremely long and he's been known to hit it wild in a golf course like this, where you're going to have high winds, you're going to have tight fairways. You're going to have uh, lots of fescue to roll into that. You can't just, you can't just bull power your way through. I, I feel like Bryson could get into a lot of trouble and a lot of trouble quick. And I don't think that he's, I mean, as I said, he's, he's won a major this year. I get it, but you, you can't get into that much trouble and post a low score on this golf course. Like you, you just can't. And I just think that there's, there's way too much trouble for Bryson to get into here. And if he gets into trouble early, it's going to be curtains for DeChambeau. And I think he misses the cut. Yeah. DeChambeau was one of my two to miss the cut. This course does not line up well for bomb and gouge and robot golf. And that's exactly what he does. You can't do that out here. You need to be creative. You need to pick your and choose what shots you're going to take and manage your way around the course. He doesn't at all. He hits driver a long ways all over the place, gouges it out and is a robot on the greens. You can't do that at this course. You need to be creative. And to me, I, he doesn't have a chance to win. And I, yeah, I don't think he's going to make the cut. The other guy's a little more shocking to, I think a lot of people, I think Justin Thomas is going to miss the cut here. And again, a lot of the same reasons, Justin Thomas is a huge range guy. If you want a guy to go to the range with and like top golf, where you're trying to hit targets and do all that, Justin Thomas might be the guy to do it. The guy is quite creative occasionally, but he hits the ball so high. He never really adjusts his flight. And I don't know how much I really like him around the greens and stuff. So to me, I think this is going to be the style of golf he struggles with. And of course he struggles with, he's again, kind of robot. Like doesn't really, he hits the ball amazing and can hit spots, but 
I just don't think this style of golf really lines up well for his game. John, you know, I, I don't disagree um, with that, you know, with, like with that. I mean, Justin Thomas finished top 10 in the Scottish. So obviously he's played in that sort of condition. But it, yeah, I don't know. Like, what do, you, what do you have to say about him finishing in top 10? Like, does, does that not bring him confidence going into this tournament? So I wanted to give Fitzpatrick credit for being good in the Scottish, but it's it actually shouldn't be. The Scottish Open last week didn't play on a link style course. It was not windy at all. The course was super soft, so it played way more like a course over here. So, I mean, I probably shouldn't give Fitzpatrick as much credit, but JT that was more of a U.S. style course than it was a Scottish Open style course last week, and it fit his game a lot more than this true link style. Oh, I mean, that's fair enough. Um, my second missed the cut. I'm going to be super controversial here. Rory McIlroy. I'm going one way and I'm going the other way. I think he's either going to be extremely successful or he's going to be an absolute disaster. And there's no reason that he should be a disaster. There's not. But... The one thing that Rory has showed us over the last four years, three, four years, is that his game is on. And very often in the first round of these tournaments, he does not show up. He shows up in the second round and just barely makes the cut. And then sometimes turns it on at the end. If you get into trouble and you start slow, Rory, it's curtains for you. So I think it's going to be one or the other. I don't know. I mean, it's obviously there's a, it's a huge field. You can finish 40th, 50th, whatever the case is. Um, I can see a case for him being top five. I think it makes a lot of sense. But if he's not up, if he's not playing that well, and not, I just don't see him in the middle. I guess what I'm trying to get to. I don't see him in the middle. Is either going to be successful or he's going to be a disaster. Rory McIlroy to miss the cut, and I'm I'm going against myself here. I've never picked the same player to miss the cut and to make top five, but that's just how I see it. Yeah, definitely an interesting play to be putting money on both sides of that. So I guess you're sort of cheering for Rory all week. I, I don't really know what to think of that. Well, I'm either cheering. But, like, yeah, if, he, I mean, if, he's, if he's doing really bad, I'm cheering for him to continue to do bad. It's, I mean, it's kind of a hedge. Like, if he's doing okay, I'm like, yeah, Rory, play better. If he's doing poorly, I'm like, yeah, Rory, play worse. And this is one of those courses. He's now going to for sure finish sixth. He's going to he finish fin- sixth. If he finishes like 30th, I'll be pissed. Like six to fiftieth or whatever the case is, like I'll be pissed. But like as I said, if you can get if you get into a little bit of trouble here, um, especially early, like you, like there's forgiving golf courses that he's absolutely bungled. Like he showed up first round and just absolutely made a disaster out of. And if you do that on this golf course, good luck. Like you're gone. Like you get into three foot fescue, you ain't coming out. Yeah, he seems to really put a lot of pressure on himself to win the Open Championship, and I mean, that's from being over there. And yeah, I think if he struggles early, it could go downhill in a hurry for him. So it wouldn't shock me. I think I think basically we'll know Thursday how he's going to finish, if he's going to be in contention or miss the cut. I think Thursday, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you'll basically know where he is. I mean, that's the other thing is this starts so early being over in Europe. Yeah. By the time we get up, it's like half the guys are already off the course. So you, you like the top five in the in the cut. That's what you're telling me. It's it's an interesting play. I mean, I probably personally wouldn't go both. I'm just kind of staying away from Rory McIlroy overall, but I definitely understand the argument both sides. I like it. All right. Uh, who's your, did you just give your second to miss the cut? You did. 
All right. I'm just yep. going through my notes here. All right. So we, we got, let's do some dark horses. I won't put a number on this. Um, you can go first on this one. I got one that stands out a lot to me. Um, who's your, who's, who's one of your first here that you think, uh, is a dark horse to win here or even top five, top 10. I don't care. Yeah. So like the dark horses are guys like I like sprinkling two to $5 on at crazy odds who I actually think have a legit shot at winning. So at plus 6,000 Mark Leishman to win this week is a really good thought. This guy competes in all the majors. He's really been good in the open championships over the year. And the South Africans always do good in tough conditions. They love shaping the ball. They love doing it. And they're great out of sand. I mean, so this just lines up well for me. I think it's a lot of the same arguments that we saw at Kiowa can be taken here. And Mark Leishman has a lot of success at those golf courses. So this one lines up well for me. And he's shown that he can almost get it done in big time. So let's see that first major. You're killing me because I had Mark Leishman as well. Absolutely killing me. Um, okay, so then I got to go to somebody else. I'm going to go uh, as a dark horse. I got, I got really two that kind of stand out um, to me. So Justin Rose at plus 6,600. Again, a guy who's played, like he's kind of played over there. He's had some success on this style of a course. And for whatever reason, Justin Rose always shows up at majors for the most part. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he definitely shows up and he's always in that conversation, at least early. I, I mean, he doesn't necessarily always finish, uh, but he's always he's always kind of sniffing around, hanging around. And at plus 6,600, you throw down a $100 bet. I don't know. Pretty good odds for me for a guy who's been there, done that. Yeah, again, he's just one of those guys. Europe has a good short game. His form's been really weird with all the equipment changes he's had, but, I mean, if there's any time for him to show up, it's going to be back over the pond. Uh, so I'll move into my second one. I kind of had two main ones here, and the next one's at plus 7,500, and it's Adam Scott. This guy, again, one of those guys, if his putting's on, and it has been recently, he shows up at these events and shows up in the majors. He's had a couple really good Open Championship runs, and this could be another one. I just really like his game around this course and just staying out of trouble, hitting it down the middle. I mean, the guy might have the, if you wanted to watch a silhouette of a golf swing, Adam Scott's might be the one to watch. It is every place in his golf swing is perfect. So it's something that I can think can work around here really well. So if his putter gets hot, he's going to win. And with those odds, I really like it. He's had a ton of success at the open. Yeah. I mean, I can't disagree that at all i mean as i said like we're kind of picking a lot of these kind of european guys these you know australians these south african guys who again play this kind of style of golf course um i'm gonna one of my dark horses here i'm gonna double down on this phil mickelson plus sorry top 20 for phil mickelson i i really like i had the odds in front of me i don't know where the heck they went they were good, though. Um, I don't know if you have the top 20 odds in front of you, if you can find them, but I had I mean, them. Plus 10,000 to win. Okay, so, I mean, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so Phil Mickelson is, let's just look at the cut line for first of all, because I don't know. Like, I Plus 800 to make a top 10, plus 350 to make a top 20. Okay, plus 350 to make top 20. Phil, lock me up. I did it last time for... Um, that tournament, the Masters, yeah, the Masters. The Masters, I had him top 20. He finished T2-1. Phil Mickelson's been feeling good. He's He won the uh, PGA Championship 
tour championship, whatever. Phil Mickelson's tour feeling good. Phil Mickelson's feeling good. Phil Mickelson, top 20, lock it up as a dark horse for that spot. I think he's overlooked. I don't think he's going to win, but honestly, I also might just consider putting plus 10,000. Like, that's almost Mike Weir odds. Not quite plus 100,000, but I mean, it's it's close. So you put a $10 bet on that and you're taking home 1,000 bucks. I don't mind it at all. Yeah, it does seem like crazy odds for a guy who's won a major championship this year. But I, this is not a course I see Phil doing well at all. I know he's got a crazy short game and he's crazy out of the bunkers, but he's super wild off the tee, and that's going to get you in a lot of trouble in a hurry here. Um, so I like doing this one, and it worked out well. I mean, after the Masters, everyone knew who Will Zalatoris was. Oh, and I when knew, I mentioned I, the pick, I knew you were going to go nobody with Zalatoris. <laughs> I'm not going with Zalatoris. No? I got a new guy. Oh, okay. At the end of the at the end of the Open Championship, everyone will know who Lucas Herbert is or Herbert as a lot of Americans would like Justin to say. Herbert's brother. <laughs> no, oh. he was, a, he's, he's a guy who competes a lot on the European tour and, and is quite good. He had a success last week. So his form's good. I know it was a different style of golf course, but form's good. And he's a guy who really does well on the European tour. And a lot of these events, he's a name that you will hear this week and he will finish high. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be quite Zalatoris where he's going to be in contention for the win, but you'll definitely know the name by the end of the weekend. I, I will I will earmark that if I don't hear his name I'm coming after you, um, I, I just have one more I just had and I and again my info is being dumb, can you tell me what Corey Connors is top ten? I cannot as my phone just died. Okay I don't know what it I don't know what it is either Jeepers Okay hold on let's see if I can find it here. Is there while I look this up is there anything else that you think that we should be looking for in this in this championship here this weekend no i think it's just going to be fun Corey connors is plus 800 to make the top 10 plus 2000 for a top five finish plus 800 um, for top 10 no yep okay dark horse Corey connor top top uh top 10 plus 800 that's my that's my last dark horse because this guy has just – he's been there. I don't think he's going to win. Again, I, I think his time may come if he continues playing good golf. I, by the way, I appreciate you kind of dragging that along until we found the odds there. That was beautiful. Um, but it, like his time's going to come. Um, I think if he continues playing uh, excellent golf, good golf, that he's going to be there. Plus 800, $100 bet wins you 800 bucks, And he's done top 10s before. He's been right there a couple different times. Maybe this course doesn't quite line up uh, with how he plays. But that being said – we got lots of wind here in Ontario. Don't even worry about it, baby. They, we play in wind all the time. 50 kilometer an hour, 60, 70 kilometer an hour gust. Don't matter. Corey Connor, plus 800, top 10. I like it. Yeah, I definitely think Corey Connors is going to win a major one of these years. I just think it'll be the Masters or the PGA that'll fit his game a little more. But I never want to bet against Corey Connors. He's fun to watch, and you always got to cheer for the Canadians. Uh, lastly, you did kind of transition into my last thing to watch for the Open Championship, and that's Adam Hadwin, Canadian. He really needs, he really does need a big finish here. He is 112th on the FedEx Cup. If he falls out of the top 125, he has to go fight for his life in the Corn Ferry Tours to stay on the PGA Tour. This is one of the most promising Canadian golfers we've had over the last five, ten years. Like he was supposed to be that transition from Mike Weir and it really hasn't happened. He's had some ups and downs, but this year he's really struggled. He needs a big finish here. Or he could be in jeopardy of losing his card next year. So let's hope he can make the cut and even push the top 20 or top 10. Uh, it's a huge week for him. And you don't, the more Canadians we see on tour, the better.
what does he need to stay in the top 125? You know? I think making the cut. Well, he's gonna he's gonna make the cut. He clearly is gonna stay, but you just gotta he's just gotta get into form and start playing better in tournaments because you what? can get a lot of points when you're in that 110 to 112 like 150 area. Finishing top 10 could jump you like 30 spots when you're that far off. So he just needs a couple better finishes. He's missed way too many cuts. I think he's at 10 or 11 missed cuts this year. He's struggling. So this is a big week for him. I knew that he was going through a swing transition, which, by the way, I just like to comment that I also am going through a swing transition. So I know where he's coming from. Um, You can laugh if you want, but I'm working on it, trying to become more consistent. But imagine if a pro is doing it and he's still got to go out and play. I mean, like I – try to fix my swing and I just go out and I almost shot under 90 last week, but I didn't, but I almost did. I mean, I'm not Trent shooting under like Trent cannot shoot under a hundred for God knows why we're talking about Trent Ryan on Barstool sports, the, um, four play, uh, four play podcast. But, um, like if I'm struggling going through a tr- swing transition, playing amateur golf and like very amateur golf, I can't even imagine trying to win tournaments and like do your job while transitioning. Like to me, that's just wild. And I get like, like the interview that they were talking about basically was saying like, he knows long-term that this is going to be better for him. But cause he's like, Oh, I'm hitting shots that I've never hit before. Like I'm reaching distances that I really haven't hit. Um, but it's resulting in me missing cuts. And I'm like, man, oh man, that is talk about some stress where you put yourself in this position to make yourself better long-term as a professional golfer, but you're not even going to be able to do your job because of this. I'm like, I don't know. That's, that's a tough gig. Yeah. I mean, it's whether you're happy with where your swing was at and you're happy just making a decent living doing it. And there's some guys who are Kevin Kisner comes to mind. Who's just happy making a living on the PGA tour, making millions of dollars and drinking a ton of beers, going hunting. Adam Hadwin maybe want to take that next step to try and get to that top 25 in the world or something like that. So to get that to the next step, you have to, I mean, my, I've done that on a completely different level. I mean, I've shot low eighties my entire life, had some better ones than that. Must be but nice. to make a sig to make a significant difference. I need to do something significant if I want to get much better. And I do, I want to start breaking par. So it's to a different level, what he's doing. And if he wants to become that, best version of himself these are the changes he's got to make but you got to hope that he has a couple successful events here and keeps his pga tour card i know of some exemptions because he has one but you just don't want to see that you got to keep your pga tour card and not go back to grinding it out on the corn ferry tour yeah i mean hey i do the corn ferry tour on pga 2k and it sucks i can't even imagine doing it in real life um there you have it. That's our open championship kind of kind of numbers. You can uh, let us know how you do. Tweet us on Twitter out over six sports. Let us know uh, how your bets pan out. Um, we're doing a uh, what is it? Twenty guys to make the cut again. What do you got? Ten bucks and it's paid. What does it pay? Yeah, they got like crazy odds. Uh, Bet three six five. You can take pick twenty guys to make the cut, and I think right now ten dollars for twenty guys to make the cut. I think I have it like forty eight hundred dollars that'll pay out if they all make the cut. So we've tried it every major. It hasn't worked yet. It's actually way tougher than you'd think. But for but 10 bucks, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, for 10 bucks, it's got to hit. It can't be that hard to guess 20 guys to make the cut, right? Well, considering how many guys make the cut, absolutely not. It's just it's just almost getting away from the chalky guys. Because, you know, like out of the top 20 chalky guys, almost half of them are going to miss the cut because they just don't show up. Um, but, hey, we do it every major. We'll let you know if we hit it. Uh, Cam will post it at C Charlton Turf uh, on uh, on Twitter, 
and uh, I'll post it myself as well uh, at Zach Burke over six. Uh, Cam, before we head out, any final comments that you want to leave us with, or are you good to go? No, I am good to go. Another week. We keep talking about this being a shorter pod, and it never seems to be. I mean, you're right, but hey, when you're sitting with your boys drinking a six-pack, what do we always tell our wives? I'll be home soon, honey, and then we never come home soon. We will be talking next week about the expansion draft. Never, ever, ever. It's like when you, I saw this, sorry, so I was about to wrap this up, but I got to say this one. I saw this video on, on Facebook. I think it was originally from TikTok, which I don't TikTok or whatever you call it, but um, it was like things that golfers always do. And it's like, why do their wives about when they're going to be home and why they're not going to be home? Like, it's like, oh, like what, honey, like when you come home, it's like, oh, you know, we're on hole like nine. Really, they're on hole five. Uh, oh, why are you going to be home? Oh, well, the guys in front of us are slow. It's not because we're drinking five beers on the course. It's not because we're doing, you know, we're chirping the shit out of each other and betting money on par threes. None of those reasons. No, 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 no. It's always the guys in front of us. And I was like, man, that is this. That is the truth. Oh, I should be home by eight. Actually, I'm home at 10 or whatever the case is. <laughs> so anyway, just wanted to leave you with that. Expansion draft next week, as I said. Uh, we're going to dive into that, give our full list of picks. We will also make sure that it's uh, within, above the floor, below the ceiling, uh, full dive next week. And as we, as Cam kind of said, yeah, our pods are never as short as we think they're going to be. Um, but once you get rolling, it's hard to stop. And hopefully you as listeners uh, like what we produce and we appreciate you uh, tuning in every week, listening to what we have to say every week. And much love from the boys at Over 6 and As always, from the Over 6 Sports Podcast, I'm Zach the Bandit Burke and the man behind the Turf King Report, Cameron Carlson, the Turf King. Thank you for listening to Over 6 Sports, and we'll chat with you next week.